Welcome to Activist MMT, a podcast about real-world economics, including modern money theory, and how life changes when you discover it. I'm your host, Jeff Epstein. Today I talk with Gabby Bond. In part two, we talk about MMT, Torrens University, climate change, and the job guarantee. In hour one, however, we talk all about music. To be clear, this first hour has little to do with economics. As you heard before the opening music, Gabby is a classically trained violist. Her accompanist and partner is a classically trained pianist. I'm a classically trained singer, and for the past year have been learning guitar. Gabby and I talk about various topics, such as how the guitar has frets and the viola doesn't, and the consequences that has on our approach to the instrument and the notes. We talk about the differences between perfect and relative pitch and how neither of us have the former. We also share some of our own experiences learning from and teaching others. Gabby ends by describing how and why she let much of her professional music career go in order to become an activist something which is greatly informed by MMT and ecological economics, which she learned thanks to meeting Stephen Hale and Phil Lawn. In the show notes, you'll find several links to the things we mention, plus some examples of our playing. Out of my almost 140 episodes, this is the third entirely or substantially dedicated to music. Links to the other two with Andy Berkeley and Derek Ross can be found in the show notes. Getting to know MMTers outside of MMT is important. It's basically an anthropological look at the background of MMT's adherence, which provides important context on the theory and the movement as a whole. I was inspired to do this by Fred Lee in his 2011 book, A History of Heterodox Economics. Next month in part two, Gabby and I transition to discuss MMT, Torrens University, climate change, and the job guarantee. 
Gabby is CEO of Modern Money Lab, which is the owner of the intellectual property, the academic content of the Torrens Graduate Program. She talks about her role in the program coming to life and in its day-to-day operations. And now, on to my conversation with Gabby Bond. Enjoy. It's very cold here in Adelaide. It's a cold morning. I've been working very hard on the uh, Modern Money Lab um, postgraduate courses project, which I'm sure we'll get to chat about later. So I was up pretty late last night <laughs> doing that. Um, yeah. And yeah, had my coffee ready to go. Awesome. And uh, we're, we're in midsummer right now. Uh, I don't know yeah. what's, what season are you in right now? Uh, so this is this is winter, my favourite season, um, which is uh-huh. it's hard being a, a cold um, cold climate lover in a warming world. But this mm-hmm. winter here is very cold. We've had, um, I guess, we're in the La Nina weather pattern. I think this is coming into the third season of it. So mm-hmm. we've had a lot of floods in the eastern uh-huh. states around where my mum lives, um, northern New South Wales. Uh, Lismore and some of those communities there have been really badly affected by flooding and they're just getting it again and again and again. But here it's cool and dry and perfect weather for hiking, which I'm going to be doing in about a week. Oh, nice. Yeah, Yeah, it it was a very mild beginning of the summer, like really mild for the Mm. first few weeks. And now it's now it's very hot. Now it's, you know, it's it's high 80s, low 90s. so it's 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 a rough summer, but you know I guess it's as cold as it's ever going to be. So yeah, I'm looking at the news from um from uh, Europe and England is going to be I think 40 degrees or was 40 degrees yesterday for their time. Um, yeah, seriously scary. I mean they don't they don't even have houses and buildings that are able to cope with that. Sort of 140 Celsius is 104 yeah. Fahrenheit. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty brutal. Mm. Um, uh, so I'm, 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 would like to talk music with you. You are yeah, an MMT that is a trained musician. <laughs> so I'd, I'd like, and there, there's, there's, there's Probably a few, a few of us. us. There, yeah. And Wim I know Godley. Rowan is, is, is a guitarist. I'm sorry. Who, who did you Wim say? Godley played the oboe. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I believe, um, I could be wrong, <laughs> but I okay. think I remember hearing he was a professional oboist which is hmm. one of the, the most stressful jobs you could have as a classical musician. Why? Um, well, the oboe is, uh, takes a very sort of um, lead role in the symphony orchestra. They're the, they're the ones that everybody tunes to at the beginning and their solos are ah. uh, very sort of, uh, they stand out quite a lot. And apparently, uh, I don't, I'd have to fact check this as well, but I have heard that um, oboe players suffer the same stress as pilots when they have to go on stage so wow yeah Gosh, I always knew that there was you know a note to start the tuning and then whatever but I guess I never really registered it as mm-hmm. so um we sent we sent uh examples of of our of our music to each other and um you yes know, I was having a great time listening to your clips um uh yeah I I I loved um, oh, I had a couple of favourites out of the ones you sent, but um, I really loved the a cappella one and oh. the MMT song. How cool is that? I hadn't actually heard it before, so really, oh okay. Love it. Do you know uh, Christian Riley also has an MMT song? Oh, uh, yeah, yep, yep. Which I have a, a, a tiny bit part in. <laughs> if you listen Fantastic. carefully. Fantastic. Um, yeah. So. Why don't we start with um, you know I list you I listened to your two pieces and you sent me two orchestral pieces I'll put the links in the show notes and uh, the one in particular I really liked um, the Tuscany one oh yeah yeah that was from um, some recordings that we did for um, a musical musical theater project yeah that okay. was good fun um, and uh, I I just really like the uh, the mix of classical, like it's kind of a mix of classical and modern and almost and some some mm. kind of rock and roll as well. And I just really like, it reminds me of, there's a, I, I, I like it, um, but looking back at it, it's a very cheesy song. It's from, um, uh, what is it? 
Flash Dance? No, not Flash Dance. The one where it's the school that's performing Fame. Fame. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a song near the end of I believe I don't know if it's the show. I, I'm familiar with the, the movie soundtrack. There's a um a song, I think like the climactic song near the end of the movie fame called I See the Body I the Body Electric, it's called. Are you mm-hmm. familiar with that? Uh, the Body Electric. It's like that mix of 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 classical and rock and and, yeah. and it's and it's kind of like re- that particular song is really manipulative in a way mm-hmm. but i just i really like the the idea of mixing styles like that and tuscany is a really excellent example of of mixing kind of ears i guess or whatever it is um that was really pretty i tell you we had such a good time recording those the studio was um it was an absolute dive I I hope nobody who was in who was managing that studio was listening because (laughs) it was very hard to find in the back streets of grimy the grimy non-trendy part of Melbourne um Mm. and you know there were there was um quite a lot of biological hazards around the place Ah. that's just (laughs) um but we, we all had a really good time recording and um, I think it came out amazingly well. It took a while to be released, of course, because different mm-hmm. things happened in the interim. But, um, yeah, when the, when we got sent a link to the recordings, I was really pleased with how great they sounded. And it was very the, – the, even the video production was kind of ambitious. Like they did a lot of kind of yeah. editing. and, and Yeah, like yeah, it was- yeah. We had, we had the camera guy kind of um, hovering as we were playing and um it took a bit of getting used to i hadn't had that before and we all had the headphones on with the click track it was quite Mm. different from what um i would normally do which is much more sort of classical and um i don't know old school i guess well he was i mean he was conducting yeah we didn't actually have the the main part in that recording session we had we were just doing the the accompaniment and then the oh. vocals came later. Oh, okay, interesting. Mm. So I believe that there was the same conductor in both of the pieces that you sent me. Is that right? Yeah, the um, Kevin Purcell. That's the orchestra that I'm I'm part of. We do a bunch of different innovative kind of things. Uh, lately, we've been we've gone back to the kind of mainstream, do a concert in a concert hall with a live audience type gig. Mm-hmm. But um, we did we did a few things that were pretty out of the ordinary with that orchestra. It's called the Australian Discovery Orchestra, um, originally based in Hobart, which is a beautiful, beautiful city down in the in Tasmania. And then it moved up to Melbourne. Yeah, so we've done some musical theatre shows. We did a concert with um, uh, piano students from a specialist teacher who, who sort of specialises in teaching kids with autism music. Mm. That was amazing. Great concert. We've done uh, some, we, I think we were probably pre-COVID one of the first orchestras to do a kind of live stream and have, have audience join via, via video link, which was mm. not something that you would see much of before COVID came. Mm. Um, yeah. So you guys were ready for COVID. Yeah, yeah, we were. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, had, we had a lot of concerts cancelled. Um, mm-hmm. which was sad, but I was just really pleased when, when we all got an, a message saying, we're back on, would anyone like to come and be part of these two gigs we've got planned? So, yeah, this is the first. Uh, we had our first gig back from post-COVID uh, in May and we've got another one coming up in August. Mm. Um, how long do you travel to? Is it, is it far for you? Especially after um, the move. Oh, look! It it is far in terms of if you had to had to drive there. I think it's what seven hundred kilometers or so. Um, it's it's like a, a less than an hour on the plane. Wow. I'm a little bit conflicted about flying these days. I I've just said no to flying to Europe with my partner for a for a month to see his family. Um, hmm. I think. I'm I'm at the stage where I will say yes to a plane flight if there is an activist reason to do it, mm-hmm. and I'm still at the stage where I'm where I'm saying yes to a short flight to Melbourne from Adelaide to Melbourne and back for a for a music gig because it kind of keeps me 
sane and it's just such a beautiful part of my life and I don't want to give that up. But, yeah, I mean, I know people close to me, my sister, she has basically sworn off flying now. And when we went to visit my mum, we drove for three days to get there and another three to get back. So, yeah, I, I think it's tough. You know, I, I don't judge people if they if they go overseas to see family members that they haven't seen for many years or family members that are getting older and may not they may not have the chance to say goodbye. But I think we all have to think seriously about the carbon budget that we've got left and, you know, play our sure. part. Yeah, well, I, I think we'll I'll bring that up again in the second in the second part, because I, I have some thoughts about that as well. Hmm. Um, so, so uh, like I'll, I'll share a random, I'll share a random thing. I'll share a random thing regarding music. Yeah. Um, I'm, I've been learning guitar. Um, I've been learning guitar for about a year, and good on you. I, it's, it's actually I was inspired by my twelve year old, who now he just turned thirteen. He, mm-hmm. he wanted a guitar. I mean, I've kind of always been intrigued by it, and you know. And I, I can play piano if I, if I, you know, it takes a lot of work, but I can sight read as a singer. So, mm. you know, so sight reading chord sticks, you know, it's not as simple as, but my, no, my 12 year old. I have trouble with chords. <laughs> uh, um, oh yeah. We're both melodic <laughs> instruments. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we can, I can sight read, but I can only sight read one note at a time. So sight reading piano takes quite yeah, a while. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so my 12 year old, uh, I guess at the beginning of COVID wanted a guitar. And so he saved up for a while and he paid for, you know, whatever, two thirds of it or something. And mm-hmm. and we bought him a real guitar, but it was like, it's slightly shorter. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I fell in love with it. Yeah. I fell absolutely in love with it. And yeah. I was like, I, after like two months of playing, you know, I don't know, maybe I started to feel cramped or maybe I was just like, that was my way of justifying getting one or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, so two months, two months or so, or three months after I got that, for him, I got one for myself and I played quite aggressively for, for months. And then we moved here in July, my first home, and I put it down for like six Congratulations, months. Congratulations, by the way. That's, that's uh, a, great, a great achievement. Well done. Thank you. Um, and I put it down for like six months. And then, then around six months ago, I picked it up again. And oh my gosh, it's like all I want to do. Yeah. It's like, all I want to do is play. And yeah. it's like, now I'm struggling to, you know, all I want to do is MMT and all I want to do is guitar. And not to mention I had family and a life and work and all that. And it's like, no matter what I do, I'm always neglecting something else. So, but, um, at the moment I'm learning maple leaf rag on the guitar. And oh, I yeah. think yeah. that I'm ge- I'm guessing that because your husband's a pianist that maybe you might know that piece. Or... Scott Joplin. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, so, when I was 16 years old or around then, I, I learned maple leaf rag on the piano. Like mm-hmm. I spent my entire summer almost full time just learning that song and I got it. I mean, it was memorization, you know? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I was, it took, it was, I could probably play a significant amount of it like so many years, you know, decades later because of how ingrained that was in me. Yeah. Um, but then I had a career, a, a short career, five years or so as a computer programmer and mm-hmm. You know, as a computer programmer, you're sitting there rigid yeah, for 10 hours straight, mm. pumping away at a keyboard, not looking at anybody else, you know, mm. just hyper-focused and mm. physically focused and mentally focused on this computer for, you know, most of the day. And it was incredibly physically and mentally taxing. And I left that. And yeah. now I, I don't want to do piano as much because it just is too similar to that physical you know the presence of a of the being at a computer yeah so, yeah yeah yep yeah so i so i took up guitar and and i'm really really ambitious like i pick very ambitious pieces which in a sense is i mean I, a i'm a teacher no i have not i have not taken any oh, lessons of it. okay great no i haven't i just i don't know um so so i'm currently working on maple leaf rag and i mean mm-hmm. i i I'm skipping over one the part the, the third section was just ridiculous just <laughs> ridiculous I like I'm watching like I have a video of the guy who created this arrangement he's extraordinary his name is Tony 
Rowden from England. I'll have to check that out. Oh. I can't I'll, imagine I'll put... Maple Leaf Rag on the guitar. I mean, it sometimes things um, fit really well under the hand and other times they're just crazy difficult. It Yeah. So, yeah, there, there's actually, I've seen maybe 10, maybe 10 real arrangements of Maple Leaf Rag on the guitar. Yeah. And, and I think the one that I happen to see first happens to be the best. I mean, I'm sure, yeah. you know, a little bit biased or whatever, but like, so, so I've been learning it. I have section one, the main section slow, you know, obviously yeah. slow, <laughs> be very forgiving, but yeah, I have it. And I, I'm now I'm starting to get section two, section three, I'm watching him and let, you know, it's good that, that I get to watch him and YouTube allows you to slow down so I can mm. see how he does his fingering, mm, which is yeah. really helpful yeah. because I'm like, I'm struggling with doing this really complicated thing. And then he just does yeah. something incredibly simple. Like I'm stretching my fingers mm. and all he does is just move his entire hand up and back. Like, yeah. oh, that's so much simpler, you know? Yeah. So I'm watching yeah. him do section three and his hand is just, it's just a blur. And I'm like, forget this. So <laughs> I just, I'm completely skipping that. So now I'm working on the final section. And I, I'm like, I was just like right before we were, you know, right before yeah. we started. That's what I was, that's what I was working on. So, yeah. um, so I'm like in this, I'm like in this world where, you know, people who are just starting out think that, you know, I'm advanced because I choose very ambitious stuff, but people who are experienced kind of roll their eyes because they can tell <laughs> that I'm picking stuff that I can't handle. So I don't fit anywhere. But anyway, so that's, that's oh, my no. I, can, I can relate to that. Um, I, I mean, I tried some pretty ambitious pieces when I was um, learning the viola at the conservatorium that were way out of my comfort zone and mm -hmm. made the teachers kind of uh glance at me sideways <laughs> mm -hmm. but i think um uh look i'm i'm so um i i'm with you in the in spirit in learning the guitar i think it's wonderful i think learning an instrument as an adult is a particular kind of journey and i've taught a lot of adults violin mm. And, uh, you know, some viola as well, which is very similar physically. And, yeah, it's really tough as an adult. As, as a kid, you kind of, um, well, for a start, you don't really mind the scratchy, horrible sounds as much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you, you just, your kind of whole body is more malleable than if you are an adult and your, you, you know, your hands and your arms don't just kind of naturally go into that unnatural position hmm. um I, I think I had a beautiful friend Marita who um she was very serious about learning the violin as an adult um, she sadly died of breast cancer oh, um geez. but we we did we did play uh one of her favorite pieces at her memorial service and I think of her a lot you know and hmm. I think of maybe some of the things I said as a teacher that that impacted her in a maybe not so good way that I would maybe say, you know, you can say things to kids uh, and they <laughs> and they just laugh it off. But adults mm. take these things so terribly seriously and, yeah, and I think <laughs> if I had my time over, um, I perhaps would have been a bit kinder <laughs> in some mm. of my teaching. <laughs> oh, you, you taught her. Yeah, taught I taught her, her yeah. Mm. I have a question for you regarding the viola and obviously yeah. it to all, yeah, all your similar instruments and that, that you don't have frets. No, like, no. Right. So, I mean, the guitar has frets. The guitar mm. shows you exactly where a particular note will be, which, mm -hmm. you know, it's still hard to do it, but, but that, that conceptually makes it a lot easier in a sense. Yeah. So, it, make, it makes it very visually obvious how the notes get um, further closer together as you ra raise the pitch. Um, and physically, sure. because you can physically feel the metal as you slide along. Yeah. Um, so I, I wonder, like, did that did that take some, you know, I can't, I honestly, I can't conceive of having a fretless guitar. I mean, that would just be like a, a level <laughs> above of having to, yeah, be, you know, know the physical to, to, I mean, you have to, and you're basically blind. I mean, you're, it's as if you're blind. Yeah. So it's a, yeah. yeah. Your other senses come to the fore. So obviously your sense of pitch but also your kind of muscle memory. So you know what the neck of the instrument feels like under your hand, between your thumb and your finger as you press the string. And when you get the note in tune, 
you can hear the instrument body kind of respond in this really subtle way to uh, a note that the instrument, um, you might say the instrument likes, like the note G, because it resonates with the string below uh, and it's got this kind of, it just kind of purr, well, it doesn't literally purr, but you can, you kind of get the sense that this is a sweet note. Um, there's that kind of moment of, um, I've said to a student once that it's a bit like when you open a packet of um, NutraSweet and a little puff of sugar just wafts into the air and you can smell it. And yeah. it's like that sweet moment when you, when you yeah. hit that note perfectly in tune. And so that's what your you have these anchors. So the because of the harmonic series, the way that works with um, with some notes, you can really feel that that kind of sweetness to it. And then the other notes that are sort of in between, you anchor them from the sweet notes. If that makes any sense at all, you you have to establish an anchor. You have to establish yeah. a baseline, and then. Yeah then that's what you base everything else mm. on. And you've got your four open strings. So on the violin you have from the bottom the note G, which is below middle C, then you have the note D, which is one above middle C, and then you have the note A, A which is uh, the classic A440, which your orchestra tunes to, and then uh, you have the note E above that. And hmm. if you're on viola, you skip the top one. So you have no E, but you have below your G, you have a C string. So so it's much more of a cello-like sound. Um, and I think something that definitely happened to me over many, many years of teaching and playing is that your ears get used to the note, particularly the A, the note A, which is 440 hertz or give or take, um, you, you kind of, you have that note in your head. So wherever you go, whatever you're listening to, you know where that A is and you know what other notes are compared to that A. So I would not say that I have perfect pitch, <laughs> but if I can find in my head that A, I have relative pitch to that. Interesting. So, yeah, so it's very much, um, I mean, you, you definitely using your eyes less perhaps because you don't really look at how your left hand moves. You don't really look at how your right hand moves. If anything, you're looking at the sheet music. But the yeah. rest of the, the way the instrument works is kind of like sensory and auditory. So I was, I was thinking of perfect pitch as you were saying that. I, I, I do not have perfect pitch, but sometimes I will hear a note and it will bring up a song mm. in my head, and yeah. I will know that that is the exact starting note for that particular song. Oh, I love that! Yeah. So, like, I can't, I can't just like say like this note is whatever. Yeah. But sometimes it will just be like almost a feeling. Yeah. That this particular note is the very first note in that song, and I know that's exactly it. And I'll go to whatever an instrument or an app or whatever, and mm. and and. I generally will be correct. It's 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 a random thing. It's not like like tuning a guitar, for example. Like mm. if one string gets off, it's I if I don't have a tuning app, it's it's I can find it rough because you don't know mm. which one is off. Yeah. You yeah. don't know and then you start like chopping the legs of the table until there's no more <laughs> legs left, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So so like I sometimes I feel like I'm just absolutely helpless to tune a guitar without a guitar app. Um but uh but it's becoming a little bit easier. Like I notice, I, not notice. I, I I recently started realizing or using that fret five on almost on all strings but one. Mm. If you pull down fret five on one string, that'll be exactly the, the two strings next to each other. Yeah, will, will yeah, sound yeah, exactly yeah. the same. Yeah, and so that that helps a lot. But sometimes when it gets off in such a way that I can't tell which one is off, and then I'm like I'm like I just have to pull out the app. Like and it's weird yeah. because yeah. It's like I have good. I have a good ear. Like yeah. I can hold a dissonant note, no problem. Mm. Like, like I, that's just like I. You know, you were kind of saying that before. Like, there's just a certain feeling to an interval. Yeah. And and when there's an interval that's dissonant, minor second or whatever it is, it has a certain not just a note, but but a, like 
kind of a vibration yeah. to it. Yeah. And and you can sense that you can you can just hold that and, mm. and you know that if you're if you're diverting up or down or they are, mm. that, that that vibration that that whatever it, starts to go away and, and mm. for whatever reason I just always like I consider harmonizing my specialty. Yeah. Like one of one of my I have two of my bucket lists music wise is one is to harmonize with James Taylor. Oh yeah. Um and one is to uh are you, if you're familiar with a acapella group called Take Six. No, um, no, I have to check them out. Their 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 primary uh intent is religion is mm-hmm. Christianity. So mm-hmm. music for them is a tool to be religious. Yep. Uh, for me, I'm, I don't like them for the religious part. I love their passion. Mm. You know, I can, I can be attracted to the passion that they have for that, regardless of what the subject of that passion is for. Um, but, but two, I'm pretty sure that two of their members are doctorates in music theory. Wow. A- and their harmonies are insane (laughs) amazing unbelievable insane yeah Yeah. it's just wonderful and i i want to be able to arrange that kind of thing like i used if i had time you know if i had another lifetime i would definitely spend one of them arranging acapella music i wasn't i'm a classically trained singer i went to school Mm. for it Mm. um but i didn't pay attention in theory classes and it's one of the biggest regrets of my life is i just got through it and yeah. now I have all these ambitious ideas of like take six or, you know, song arrangements and I can arrange, you know, it's kind of roughly what I want, but there's, I just never, you know, I can't get it out of my head on, on paper. And mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah. So, so maybe someday I'll, I'll try. Yeah, I think time. we're lucky now that there's a lot of good tools out there that can help with, um, you know, transcribing something from a sound file to, uh, a score I'm sure wow. those uh, those types of programs exist it's just a matter of finding the right one for what you want I mean my partner Alex is very much into um, the kind of more he's into a, quite a lot of obscure things he's <laughs> very got a very eclectic kind of uh, interests but he's <laughs> very very interested interested in um, different piano sounds and synth- synthesized piano sounds. He got mm. very, um, very absorbed in that during COVID when he couldn't mm. perform live. Uh, he made a lot of uh, little YouTube recordings instead. Uh, and he's, you know, been trying to find uh, the perfect balance of all the different um, uh, sort of aspects you can get in in different, very, very subtle aspects of which piano is better in which acoustic and he mm. has endless fun playing with that stuff what's what's his primary style or his primary uh, well definitely classical he's um classical. he's classical same as me yeah we met at um flinders street school of music when i was doing um ah. my undergraduate and ah. i had uh they were one of the the very few places in australia where you could major in accompanying if you're a pianist because a lot of people a lot of conservatoriums you know you can only do performance and you know get you get trained to be a soloist whereas Flinders Street was um, a brilliant music school because it actually trained you for the real world so they had a a degree in orchestral studies which is training people to be members of orchestras uh, and they had another degree in accompanying which is training pianists to be repetitors and accompany people for um, you know, for their auditions and and uh, accompany choirs and that sort of thing, like a real what wow, you're doing if you're a professional sure. musician. Yeah, of course. What what is a repetitor? A repetitor is like um, if you're um, uh, say for an opera or a, or a musical, and you have you're working with the chorus, and they they have an accompanist for their rehearsals rather than a whole band. Mm. So. You play, you play. A temporary accompanist for rehearsals. Yeah, 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 yeah. A rehearsal pianist. Yep. Oh, okay. Very interesting. Um, Steve, you said he, he's into some obscure stuff. So <laughs> one summer, one summer I was, uh, I sang at a, it's called Dorney Park. It's a, an amusement park uh, mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania, uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania. I, I sang there for a whole summer in, in a, this, you know, restaurant, whatever. 
And between every show, it was like three, I don't even remember, five shows a day? I don't remember what it was. And between every show, they played the complete Scott Joplin, a five oh, CD, wow. a five CD complete Scott Joplin. So that's all I heard all summer long. And I already liked mm. him. This was years after I learned um, Maple Leaf Rag. Yep. And so that just like, that just like, like I learned like really obscure songs by him. I was just <laughs> like, oh, he's so amazing. It's just, it's just such, such good stuff. Fantastic. So. Fantastic. So, yeah, so, um, so what else are you learning on the guitar? Do you have any sort of like um, uh, well-known tunes that you're that you're noodling around with? Uh, well, one, I, one I sent to you uh, is country, uh, Carolina in my mind. By oh, James yeah, Taylor. beautiful. That was. I cool. can't. Thank you. I I I have the first two verses or whatever you call them. Like pretty pretty well. Um, maybe like 80% speed. I'm not even sure how to proceed beyond that. Mm. So like, I, I, I'm not sure, like, I'm not exactly sure. I think I kind of need guidance. Maybe, maybe leave it and come back to it. Yeah. 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 I know. Yeah. I've totally, I've totally left it. Like, and uh, I want to, I want to keep working at, I have, I'm starting to have quite a repertoire. I mean, a decent amount, like I could probably kind of perform for like a good half hour at this point. Wow. So now I have, so now I'm like really focused on, on Maple Leaf Rag and, and I'm like, mm. I'm feeling all the other of the repertoire that I kind of really need to go through mm -hmm. to, you know, keep myself refreshed. Another really ambitious one that I, that I'm doing, um, is, uh, when she loved me. Oh yeah. On Toy Story 2. Yep. Yeah, uh, and so uh, Goose G U U S on YouTube arranged this really just beautiful arrangement of it, and it's it it has the melody in it, so mm -hmm. I don't think it's intended to be an accompaniment, and it's it's rather complicated. It's a different. It's my first song with a different tuning. It's it's a uh, uh, C G C G C G C G C E instead of E A B G B E. I think it is. Um, so that one, um, you know, I, I have it as good as I think I'm going to get it. Like I'm, mm. I'm kind of never, I feel like I'm kind of never, or at least I'm years off from really getting to the point where I would be comfortable performing it. Like mm. I'm just going to make mistakes. You, you just got to be forgiving. I'm going to be making mistakes. I'm going to be playing it very slow. Um, but given that, um, you know, I spent a good three months on it. And I, I think I have it pretty well. Maybe I'll put a little sample in. Um, yeah, do do that would be great. Cool. Cool. Um Another one by Goose in the same tuning, G-U-U-S, uh, is uh, Country Road, which uh -huh. is really, really beautiful. So yeah, I have like, yeah. 
the first three quarters of it or something like that. Mm. Um, oh, that's terrific. You sound like you've really um, gotten into the guitar and I think that's just amazing and lovely. I, th- I think uh, if you, you know, you can find so much joy in these things. Good on I you. Really, thank you. I, I mean, I really, it's kind of, I mean, there are some songs that, that obviously are not for singing, but mostly I kind of want to like give myself something to sing along with. So Carolina, mm. I could sing. Carolina, mm. in my mind, I could sing. Um, and, you know, I, I've learned, I realized that it's hard for me kind of to relax, like mm. to, it, it, to improv, like improvisation requires relaxation. I mean, that seems pretty clear. Like even, even yeah. comedy improvisation, yeah. it just requires you to relax. Yeah. And that's kind of hard for me. And so I realized that it's much easier for me to learn finger, finger picking. Mm-hmm to get a tab, to get sheet music. I learn off of sheet music. Yep. And it's it's it has the notes that you would, you know, sheet normal sheet music notes, the five staff. Um, but it has guitar tabs, which is six six lines with just numbers on it. Oh, yeah. It's very yeah. easy to understand. Yeah. And the numbers for the fingers. Right, the numbers represent the frets. Yeah. So a two on the second line is just put your finger down on fret two on the second yeah. string. I mean, yeah. it's extremely... It takes a lot of work, but it's extremely easy to understand. Yeah. So I've been reading the music, and what I like about finger pick, what I like about tabs and finger style finger picking is that it tells you exactly what to do and when to do it. So I can do it without having to worry about you know relaxing, and so that's different than strumming for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is like strumming, like I can play chords if you tell me what chord to play. Yeah. But it doesn't feel musical to me because it's just blah blah blah, you know. And so, yeah. so yeah. you know, that is sort of the more you have to relax, you have to improv a little bit in order to make it feel like music. Mm. And so, I have I'm, I have some songs like like I really like uh, Sarah McLachlan's "Angel." Mm-hmm. Um, that's a beautiful piece, um, and I can play that in strumming style. And it's you know, it's kind of simple, but it, it works. So anyway, just like strumming versus finger style, I, I just find that really interesting. Um, that one is really kind of tells you what to do and kind of requires less of a teacher in a sense. Like, mm. Mm. Um, you're resonating with the ability of the guitar to have a melody rather than just be a kind of like background, um, as you said, chord, chord, chord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're, we're kind of getting, you know, we should, we should, tie up this this part of it and, and work our way towards the other thing or is there anything is there anything else that comes to mind that that you think you want to share or well, a question that you might have i think um i i wouldn't mind just um telling your listeners why it is that i stopped being a musician and started being an activist i think maybe some some people have already heard this but uh it was very much one of those things that um things in your life that sort of happen by accident but have huge consequences. And for me, um, this is something that I, I sort of tell people a bit because it illustrates uh, something I think that is a kind of common human experience, you know, a small a, a sliding doors moment perhaps you might call it. So I used to have a fairly long drive to where I was teaching it would be like a 45-minute drive there and another 45-minute drive back. And I used to listen in the car to Classic FM, which is um, the, uh, well, I guess in Australia we have the ABC, which is the equivalent of um, public radio. And they have a classic classical music station uh, and they also have a number of other stations as well. And so I used to love the classical music station and my particular my particular favourites, I, I used to really like when I was studying and, and in the years afterwards, I was really interested in music that was a bit classical music, I'm talking about, that was a bit edgy, a bit difficult, uh, maybe by living composers rather than, you know, your Vivaldi's and your um, Mozart and your Puckabell Cannon, those sort of um, kind of well-known, tried and true, everybody can mm. recognise the Four Seasons type music Mm -hmm. so I used to really love composers like Shostakovich 
Ligeti, uh, John Adams, the minimalist. I used to love um, uh, Australian composers, Skullthorpe, Ross Edwards, that you don't, that you can't really sort of hum along to and have as background noise that you have to sort of really concentrate on to get the, the, the kind of uh, emotion, the whole range of emotions and the, the, the well it's it's not what you'd call elevator music the opposite of that right mm-hmm. um and then classic fm my favorite station had a bit of a rebrand and they went much more in the direction of elevator music and everything oh, no. was really vanilla <laughs> and no, i suppose no. you know a lot of people like that you know they love hearing the four seasons and they'd listen to it over and over again um, but I got quite bored with it and I was complaining mm. about this to my dad and he just made this comment and he said, why don't you switch to Radio National? You might learn something. Now, Radio National is the talking station with all the talking heads and the interviews and um, uh, the politics and I thought, oh, all right. So I put mm. it on, I switched the car radio over and one of the first things I heard was uh, a very well-known producer in Australia, uh, journalist Philip Adams, interviewing James Hansen uh, about climate, uh, about global warming and his book, um, Storms of My Grandchildren. Um, And I almost pulled the car over. This was so shocking to me that this was happening and this must have been, I don't know, late 90s. I mean, I'd, I'd sort of, it was on my radar a bit, from the Al Gore movie and, you know, I'm pretty progressive in my upbringing and my values and I always voted for the Greens Party or the Democrats here, which are now almost um, extinct as a political party. Um, but the, this kind of this shock of the, the climate and the, the fact that we really have to start doing something, uh, it made me... It made me change what I did um, and I pretty much soon after that I we had an election here and I got talking to one of the climate candidates at a polling booth um, and I ended up volunteering in the Greens Party office and from there I got a job, which I still have to this day, at the Environmental Defenders Office, which is a community legal centre that does specialist environmental and planning law. So they basically help people protect um, uh, native habitat and significant trees and uh, stop inappropriate developments and, you know, try and um, protect Indigenous land from mining and that sort of thing. So... And from there, I did much more for the Greens. I ran somebody's election campaign. Um, I got on. I became an office bearer, and I've had since then many, many other jobs in the environment sector, leading to um, my one of my sort of high points of my career, which is where I worked for a progressive campaign group, which uh, people in the US might have even heard of, called Get Up in Australia. Mm. Um, sure it's what what is equivalent to sort of equivalent to the sunrise movement a little bit a lot of um a lot of digital organizing and that's where i met stephen hale and and wow. sort of became aware of mmt and now mmt and climate action are my two purposes in life you might say combining those two okay yeah uh, so that's my story what year did what, what year did you start working there? Uh, for well, when I I oh, get up. You're, you say your current no. You say you have your current job. You're still working oh, there today. Yeah. Uh, so I started at the Environmental Defenders Office in I think it was 2010, 2011. Okay, 2010. Yeah. You said late. You said late 90s is when you started listening to that. Yeah. Well, I, I did right? a lot of volunteer work before that. Okay. So yeah. So I was still teaching. I spent many years sort of combining the two. So I was I volunteered for the Greens political party and uh, I didn't get my first paid job until quite a while after that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, 
And when did, so you weren't really aware of climate change until the late 90s? That, that made you aware I mean, I, of climate change was, to begin with? But I wasn't shocked by it in the way that it is shocking. Okay. And yeah. when did you, when did you realize like the depth of the seriousness? Yeah, that would have been when I heard that interview. Um, so in the so late 90s? That, that kind of turning point moment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're a little bit ahead of me. So um, in 2018, I met Stephen in person at the conference oh, wow. in New York. Yeah. And and I was always, not, I don't know, always, but whatever. I was aware of climate change for several years, I guess. Mm. But I wasn't aware of, the, as Stephen was the first one at that conference to give me a clue that this might be much deeper mm. than I thought. Mm. And, and like, he basically said something to the effect of, you know, maybe it's already too late or something like that. Yeah. And that kind of like, I didn't really register it, but that always stuck with me. And then, uh, I don't think I really realized the true depth, like potential extinction of this until maybe two years ago. Yeah. So, so, you know, and then, and then, I didn't realize, and then I then I came to the realization of that those on top are going to aggressively do whatever they can to keep this going in the wrong direction. Yeah. Because like they're not going to get off fossil fuels. Like they like no matter what they say, you know, doing Green New Deal, whatever, they're not going to do it. They're going to aggressively keep pumping out fossil fuels as fast as they can, as hard as they can, mm. until Everyone someone wants to stops be the last, them. Don't they? Everyone wants to extract that last bit of money. Well, it requ- I don't, well, I mean, profit is, is the secondary primary mm. is they, it, they require a fossil fuel tank in order to protect their power. Mm. They will lose power by, by doing anything in the direction of stopping fossil fuels. Yeah. They require fossil fuels to stay in power. They require, you know, yeah. an inordinate amount of fossil fuels in order to stay in power. So therefore they are not, they're not just, you know, this has nothing to do with they really want to, they're just whatever they're they're They don't know better. Oh no, they know perfectly well. They are going yeah, to aggressively pump perfectly. out every drop as possible, as fast and as, as fast as, as much as they possibly can until someone stops them and, and it's the profit is part of it, but it's, I, as far as I can tell, as far as I can see, it seems pretty clear that they have to do that in order to stay on top, in yeah. order to suppress this. Yeah. So, um, but, all right. So before we get into, I've, I've one last minor music question yeah. that, that you made me think of, and then we'll, then we'll completely go back, you know, into that stuff. So like, go ahead. Um, you actually, I, for, for me, I enjoy singing and playing classical mm-hmm. and more, you know, less popular stuff. And and my being trained classically, I think, is invaluable because that can be translated to any style. That that makes it such that like Pat Benatar is classically trained, mm-hmm. and she knows how to like screech and scream yep. in her songs without hurting herself. That's Ooh, what I think. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I think classically trained gives you. But I don't choose to listen to it. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I respect it and I like it. I can really like it and I enjoy doing it. But I don't choose to listen to it on my own. And, and mm-hmm. I was not surprised, but but kind of. I was going to ask one of my questions that I was thinking of asking you was, do you listen to the music that you play in your own time? And obviously, you know, at least significantly, that answer is yes. So I'm just curious. Of, I'm curious of your response to that. Uh well, I I feel like. I don't go out of my way to listen to classical music. No, not really these days. Um, I feel like I get a lot of it. I absorb a lot of it through just living in the same house as a a, a classical mm. pianist turned statistician. Um, he is. He practices unlike me. He practices every day. You know, up to from an hour to kind of three or four hours if he's got a concert coming up. Uh, so I hear. And I assume that he's not he's not using headphones. He's using an acoustic piano. Oh no, he has a grand piano in the lounge room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I hear music or pretty much every day. I'll come home 
late and he'll have a, instead of watching TV or having the radio on while he's cooking, he'll have, um, you know, a CD on of, of some of his favourite performers. Um, so I hear a lot of music. Um, and I think, we, you know, Adelaide is Australia and particularly Adelaide. Adelaide is called the Festival City. That's its kind of tagline. And we do have brilliant festivals. And as part of those festivals, we have brilliant musicians and brilliant performers um, coming here a lot. We have a great arts culture, although, you know, the funding has been slashed to within an inch of its life. But we have such a lot of talent here. And so, you know, I do still go to concerts. Um, uh, I'm going to one uh, Sunday week, which is um, I'm quite looking forward to. It's part of the Illuminate Festival uh, and that's contemporary classical music. So a little bit sort of different, maybe possibly even a bit challenging. Um, So I'm I'm looking forward to that as well, Um, but definitely not like, when I was a music student, sort of between um, 92 and, uh, you know, the end of the 1990s, uh, I lived and breathed concerts and music and um, mm. that was all I did. Um, classical, classical. Things have changed now. Yeah, yeah. These days in my in my downtime, I read Twitter. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. Terrible. <laughs> Twitter is, is, is hard to get off of. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, you know, I have an acoustic guitar. It's not a, it's not an electric acoustic. Um, and so I'll, I practice like my wife hears me from like playing at 15% speed of, of, you know, a song from, yep. for like a month, you know, yep. so she just completely drowned. She just completely, it's just like, she doesn't even notice I'm there anymore, you know? So mm-hmm. like, even if she's sleeping, even if they're like, I can bring my guitar into my bedroom in the middle of the night and just start practicing and it won't even, she won't even notice. So in a wow. sense, it's like really good. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, okay. well, I would so, definitely notice that. I'm a light sleeper. <laughs> I would definitely notice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I, I lucked out with that. Um, um, <laughs> all right. So, so uh, one more thing about climate change and then I, then let's move on to Torrens and job guarantee and whatever else you think. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned, um, you know, not wanting to fly. And I, I briefly mentioned to you uh, that, you know, I, I went to the Levy Summer Session, mm. which uh, a week long in, in, the, in the beginning of June, or second week yes. of June. Yes. Tell me about that. And, was it good? Oh, it was fantastic. It was Great. fantastic. I actually spoke about it a half hour last night with Joe Firestone. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah. So the first half hour was me kind of reliving uh, the summer session. Um, oh, it was wonderful. And actually, my favorite part was was being able to uh, spend a lot of time um, just talking about nothing with Patricia mm. Pino and mm. Sam Levy and Dark Ants. Yeah. Yeah. And that that was, I mean, academically, you know, it was wonderful. I mean, that part was wonderful. But but the part that I'll I'll you know never forget is is being able to just walk on campus with Patricia and yeah. spending extended time with with all these people. It was that yeah. was just great. Um, uh, so, you know, mass travel, I think is quite, is growing to be rather irresponsible. And, mm-hmm. you know, even my, I only drive, I, my, I'm a three hour drive from Levy, yep. which is not too terrible, but obviously a lot of people flew yep. to be there mm. and, you know, and our whole society requires that. Our family is is an hour. Her Sherry's parents is an hour drive away. My my father's in another uh, another direction, an hour away. And yeah. obviously, a lot of family is is plain, you know, days driving or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And it's mm-hmm. just like you, and even universities, mm-hmm. even just going to a university of all of these students going to a gorgeous campus and living on campus, yeah. that requires a lot of travel. And mm-hmm. you know, the, and school buses and and whatever you know it's just like we have made our society require mass travel yeah and now we have to get off of mass travel and so like an obvious transition is zoom which is a really Mm -hmm. good thing Mm. but ultimately we can't 
be as spread out like this. We have to be, we have to educate our children locally. We have to grow our food locally. We have to entertain ourselves and, sh and, and yeah. do all of these things yeah. locally. And, and mm. yeah, no, in order to I completely agree. I think um, definitely the experience of um, your world shrinking during COVID was, you know, it was, it was pretty traumatic and terrible for many people, uh, especially in Melbourne, uh, which had, you know, over so many days, I can't remember exactly, but um, I think it was 160, we'd have to fact check that, but, you know, 160 plus days of lockdown where people could literally go no further than five kilometres from their house um, wow. and, you know, leave the house once a day. I think, that would have been really, really difficult for very for many, many, many people, and I'm not minimising that at all. Um, there is a tiny silver lining to that, which is that uh, some of us got to experience our neighbourhoods in a new way. We got to meet our neighbours. We got to support our local communities via kind of, you know, suburb uh, or street-based communities of care. And so we had a little glimpse of what that might be like and how that could perhaps um, be something beautiful and worthwhile. Um, yeah, we, in Adelaide, we were only locked down for <laughs> hardly, we, well, seven days, which, which is nothing, really. You were locked down for seven days total? Yeah. What's the point? Today I talk with Gabby Bond. In part two, we talk about MMT, Torrens University, climate change, and the job guarantee. In hour one, however, 
we talk all about music. To be clear, this first hour has little to do with economics. As you heard before the opening music, Gabby is a classically trained violist. Her accompanist and partner is a classically trained pianist. I'm a classically trained singer and for the past year have been learning guitar. Gabby and I talk about various topics, such as how the guitar has frets and the viola doesn't, and the consequences that has on our approach to the instrument and the notes. We talk about the differences between perfect and relative pitch and how neither of us have the former. We also share some of our own experiences learning from and teaching others. Gabby ends by describing how and why she let much of her professional music career go in order to become an activist, something which is greatly informed by MMT and ecological economics, which she learned thanks to meeting Stephen Hale and Phil Lawn. In the show notes, you'll find several links to the things we mention, plus some examples of our playing. Out of my almost 140 episodes, this is the third entirely or substantially dedicated to music. Links to the other two with Andy Berkeley and Derek Ross can be found in the show notes. Getting to know MMTers outside of MMT is important. It's basically an anthropological look at the background of MMT's adherence, which provides important context on the theory and the movement as a whole. I was inspired to do this by Fred Lee in his 2011 book, A History of Heterodox Economics. Next month in part two, Gabby and I transition to discuss MMT, Torrens University, climate change, and the job guarantee. Gabby is CEO of Modern Money Lab, which is the owner of the intellectual property, the academic content of the Torrens graduate program. She talks about her role in the program coming to life and in its day-to-day -day operations. And now, on to my conversation with Gabby Bond. Enjoy. Enjoy. 